I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, which is rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and this is our Match Day 27 recap from the latest round of La Liga. This round saw Barcelona go back to the top of the table with a 1-0 win over Real Sociedad, before Real Madrid lost 2-1 at Real Betis. I Liga, as they say in Spain, a phrase they use to mean the title race is on. There was a lot of I Liga chat on Sunday night after Real Madrid's defeat, although Actually, in a weird way, that result might mean there's less of a title race than before if we're looking at the maths of it, since the points gap at the top has shrunk through Barcelona and Real Madrid swapping positions. Before match day 27, Real Madrid had a one-point lead, now Barcelona have a two-point advantage over their rivals. We'll be discussing both those games in part one, while later in the podcast we'll be hearing about the eventful Atletico Madrid versus Sevilla clash, about Real Mallorca and Leganes getting their first away wins of the season, about the all-bass Copa del Rey final, and much more. But first, let's bring in Roman de Arquer, our Barcelona expert, to analyse Barcelona 1, Real Sociedad 0. It was a Leo Messi penalty that was the only goal of the game after a Robin Lenormand handball. Kiki Setien, he said afterwards that Barcelona won thanks to VAR. Roman, is that the right assessment? Kiki Setien did say that, but he also actually added that Barca deserved to win because they had the better chances, so I mean... Um, VAR, I think, was crucial, of course, because the referee didn't see that handball and it changed the game. It was actually a moment where Barca were not really at their best and Real Sociedad were pushing quite a lot. So it was a really needed breath of fresh air for Barcelona. But at the same time, it, it gave them that penalty, but it took away that goal at the end of the match. So, I mean, VAR is there to do that, to correct those mistakes the ref... Uh, doesn't detect uh, and I mean it, this match could have gone anyway really both teams I think had very good chances uh, a lot of offensive football and it has to be said that Real Sociedad were very brave in this game as they were against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the Copa del Rey you know they are not intimidated they come there to play their football uh, to win the three points and they had good chances but unfortunately for them this time uh, Messi was inspired in that penalty kick and, and closed the game for Barcelona. That's interesting. Barcelona probably were better. They probably did just deserve it. But Bar didn't actually notice in Arturo Vidal offside in the build-up to the penalty incident. So, still a bit of luck involved. What really amazed me was that this only finished 1-0 considering these are two very attacking sides. Probably the two most attacking sides in La Liga. So, 
were the best players in this game maybe the centre-backs? I have to agree with you on this one because defensively both teams were very, very strong. Uh, starting with Barcelona, I think Piqué and Lenglet are the two centre-backs that always have to start uh, in the important games, we could say, for Barcelona. Uh, they were great, they were really concentrated, they were really solid at the back. Similarly could apply to Real Sociedad with uh, Diego Llorente and Lenormand, who except for that unfortunate handball, because in the end it was an accident, um, had a great game. And they were also like impeding Barcelona from generating uh, more opportunities they would have liked. And they were very, very solid at the back too. So defensively, both teams were really strong. And I guess they come extra motivated in these games when they know that in front they have really good attacking players. So, you know, that must give them the push to want to do their best. And so both teams had great uh, defensive performances in the end. Jordi Alba said after the game, I don't like when they whistle in the 15th minute, referring to the fans. What did you think about the whistles from the crowd for Barcelona's slow and horizontal passing early on? I mean, the whistling against uh, the players hasn't just been this game. It's been going on for a few matches um, at the Camp Nou. And it's mainly when Barca are playing the ball out from the back uh, with Ter Stegen. You know, they take their time. Um, it goes slowly. A lot of times Barca ends up losing the ball because we saw how other teams press really high. We saw how Napoli, how Madrid, how Real Sociedad uh, put them in really tight situations. And Barca making mistakes. But in the end, you know, they're applying what their manager is telling them to do. And we know that Kike Setien, he's very um, faithful to his philosophy, to the style of football he wants to play. And so the players are just doing their job, of course. They've only been hit with him about two months, you know, they're still learning, they're still trying to improve and get things done. And I don't think the fans should be so impatient. I mean, if they want to whistle uh, against anybody, it has to be against the board, which they have been doing, at least some fans, and that's the right decision. But against the players for trying to implement uh, what the manager is telling them to do, I don't think that's correct. I think we should be a bit more patient in this sense and let them do their thing, they're trying their best, and sooner or later, hopefully, Barcelona will get the results they need. Barcelona assistant coach Eder Sarabia has been under the spotlight a lot this week for his behaviour during El Clasico when footage emerged of him going absolutely crazy at certain pieces of play. What was he like in this game? First of all, it has to be said that uh, the fans at the Camp Nou were actually chanting and showing their support towards Eder Sarabia at the beginning of the game. So this comes to prove that they're against all this show that's come up on the media related to his episode at El Clásico. I mean, it was taken out of proportion, it has to be said. In the end, you know, he's just a worker being passionate and expressing how he feels like any other Barca fan or Madrid fan would do. And after the game, Piquet came out into his defense and said that uh, the players perfectly understood why he reacted like that and, and how he was living the game in the end. It was perfectly normal for that to happen, so they had no hard feelings. So that's the insight on Barcelona from Roman. Let's now talk about Real Madrid's 2-1 loss to Real Betis. It was Sydney who put Real Betis ahead before Karim Benzema equalised from the penalty spot before half-time. But then, in the final 10 minutes, Benzema gave the ball away in his own half and this allowed Real Betis to burst upfield and score a winner through former Barcelona man, Christian Teo. We speak now to David Whitworth of Radio Betis who was there at the Benito Villamarín. David, Sergio Ramos said afterwards that this was a fair result. I take it you agree. What did you make of that? It says everything that Sergio Ramos, an ex-Sevilla player who obviously hates Betis, would say that it was a fair result. And you can't argue. Betis thoroughly deserved to win. 
because they played the better football. They were much more organised, much more tactically adept. And Betis just wanted it more. What was the atmosphere like when the winner went in and when full time arrived? When Christian Teo scored that second goal, if the, if the Betis stadium would have had a roof on it, it would have literally exploded and fallen off because the supporters of Betis went absolutely ballistic, wild with excitement and just thrilled at seeing their team take the lead against uh, Real Madrid. And naturally, when the full-time whistle came, well, a mixture of of delight and relief because first uh, win in eight games. Been a long time coming since the uh, the 3-0 highly impressive win against Real Sociedad. The team has just gone missing since then. They've been very puzzling. It's a very puzzling Betis team this season. Well, good thing for the club, I guess, that they didn't have a roof. Let's talk about Ruby, the coach. What did he do tactically to outsmart Zidane? Well, Betis were much more solid. They didn't give as many cheap attacks away. And they were pressurising the Madrid players much more. But I think the biggest thing was just play with freedom. And it actually backs up what uh, the nutritionist of Betis uh, told me, who I know. And I spoke with him after the game. And he said that during the week, Ruby told the players just to play with much more freedom. They've been playing with a bit with anxiety and, and, and too much tension. But with this game, just go out there, play with freedom and just express yourself and enjoy the game. Real Madrid had Militao and Lucas Vazquez on their right-hand side, but this didn't really work, did it? The right-hand side of Real Madrid really didn't work out. Certainly with Lucas Vazquez, they tried Militao there in place of Carvajal and it was an experiment that simply didn't work. They never really got in their stride and even towards the end when they were having a few chances, you never really got the the idea that Betis were in under serious pressure. Madrid didn't really muster a lot. There was very much off-white tonight. None of their players really shone. They were lucky to get back into the game with a goal with uh, right on the stroke of hard time with Karim Benzema that they didn't really deserve. Very strange considering they only won the Clasico last week and played quite well in that. David, how do you explain Real Betis going eight matches without a win and then defeating the league leaders. The simple answer with explaining what's going on with Betis is there is no answer. Explaining the unexplainable. It's very puzzling what is happening with Betis. But then again, Betis are a puzzle. A team capable of the best and the very worst. And a team when you least expect it will get a result. A team that have not won eight games. Played quite well in patches in those eight games. But nonetheless, are closer to the relegation zone than the European places and yet can come out with a performance like that. If only they could bottle it up and play like that every week, they would be where we would want to be at the end of the season, which is in those European places. Let's move towards the bottom of the table now, where there were two very important away victories. Before this weekend, Leganes and Real Mallorca were the only two teams in La Liga yet to win an away game. And remember, this was the 27th round. Yet they both went and did it this weekend. Leganes were away at Villarreal and they were losing to a Gerard Moreno goal. But Oscar Rodriguez got two second half goals, one of them from the spot, to make it a huge three-point haul for Leganes. 
Three points also went back to Mallorca as they went away to Ibar and won 2-1. Danny Rodriguez and Takifusa Kubo got the goals before Pedro Villas pulled a late one back that served for nothing other than to start a brawl inside the goal net between Manolo Reina, the Mallorca goalkeeper, and about half the town of Ibar. We have to bring in our resident Mallorca man Alex Fitzpatrick to discuss a moment as important as this one. Alex, just sum up for us the importance of this result. An incredibly important result for Mallorca. We've seen in recent weeks other teams picking up points and uh, particularly Celta Vigo and starting to climb away or make that relegation area much more like a concertina really. It's it's, uh, many more teams close to each other and Mallorca haven't really been part of that with their result against Deportivo Alaves aside, that one win that they had there. And Mallorca have been only treading water. They had a a run of crucial games a little while back, um, three games against relegation rivals and only picked up points against Deportivo Alaves. And and, and as a result of that, other teams have been picking up points when when Mallorca have had difficult games and therefore haven't picked up points. Obviously, it's incredibly satisfying because it's the first away win of the season. Um, only two points on the road all season up until the game this weekend against Abar. Um, Mallorca played with uh, 5-3-2 uh, with wing-backs, so three central defenders and, and two wing-backs. Uh, Sedlar coming into the side, Pozo and Lumore as the wing-backs. Uh, and I think the main reason was because that was done to, to combat Ibar and their style of play, which is to, to get crosses into the box. They are the team with the most completed crosses in La Liga and the third highest number of total crosses in La Liga. It's also an area that Mallorca are very vulnerable in. So an extra centre-back in the middle of the box to, to kind of defend against those. So very satisfying very important and and really a, a, a positive result for Mallorca for sure. Thanks for that Alex. Those Mallorca and Leganese wins have certainly spiced up the relegation battle down at the bottom. Both those teams remain in the relegation zone in 18th on 25 points and 19th on 23 points respectively but they're both chasing 17th place Celta Vigo on 26 points. Celta are within their sights. Espanyol, meanwhile, they're still bottom. Another defeat for them. They fell 1-0 at Osasuna as Roberto Torres scored a penalty for the only goal of the game. That's just 20 points for Espanyol. Not looking good for them. That's all for part one of this podcast, but do join us in part two as we look at some of the other storylines from this weekend. That's coming up after this short break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown Match Day recap. Looking back on Match Day 27, let's take a look at the first match of the round now with Paco Pollock. On Friday night, we had a 1-1 draw between Alaves and Valencia, with Danny Parejo and Edgar Mendes getting the goals. Valencia were the better side in the first half, and Alaves the better side in the second half. Well, at least that was my takeaway. What changed in the second half, Paco? Possibly Valencia and Celades were not ambitious enough to seek the second goal and close the game. Your assessment is actually accurate because Valencia possibly delivered their best defensive performance away from home in many, many months in the first 45 minutes. Solid at the back, little space conceded and increasingly comfortable with the ball in the last 15 minutes. The game was in a sweet spot for them after scoring the 1-0, but they lacked that killer instinct and subs came too late. So Alaves only had to take advantage of a huge mess-up after a set-piece for Edgar Mendez to level the score. If you add that Valencia were unable to increase their pacing after the draw, well, it was a disappointing night for the bats overall. There was another free-kick goal from Dani Parejo. Since 2014, only Messi has more free-kick goals in La Liga than him. How underrated is Dani Parejo? Again, this is a very personal take. I think if Dani Parejo played for Real Madrid, Barca or Atletico, he would be definitely regarded as a world-class star, possibly one of the highest-rated midfielders in European football. But he does play for Valencia, and we know they don't have the same promotion as other big teams. I believe he's on Luis Enrique's pre-list for the next Spain games, and he definitely should be both in the games played in March and in the Euro 2020 next summer. He scored... Eight goals and has three assists in La Liga to date, making him one of the top Spanish scorers even though he's a midfielder. If there's an underrated player in Spain, his name is Dani Parejo. There's now eight away matches in 2020 for Valencia and they've only won two of them. And those were a 1-0 win over Logrones and a penalty shootout win over Cultural Leonesa in the Copa del Rey. What's going wrong away from Mestalla? Um, it's all on the defense, you know. I actually tweeted in the halftime of the game against Alaves that if Valencia had focused on defending and not allowing easy goals, they would for sure have won plenty of games away from Mestalla in the last few months. But the problem lies within Celades and the way he wants his team to play. Happily attacking, joyfully even, with not that much regard for defending. 
It worked a few times beautifully this season, for example, in clutch Champions League fixtures against uh, Chelsea or Ajax. But at the end of the day, not caring about defending usually works against the chances of any team, not only Valencia. Thanks, Paco. Valencia are still aiming for Champions League qualification, just like Hitafe, Sevilla and Atletico Madrid. The last two of those teams took on each other this weekend at the Wanda Metropolitano, and there Sam Leverage was there to see their frantic 2-2 draw with all the goals coming before half-time. Luke de Jong put Sevilla ahead, Alvaro Morata equalised for Atleti with a penalty, Joao Felix put Atleti ahead, then Lucas Ocampos equalised for Sevilla with another penalty. Sam, that first half was crazy. Have you ever seen anything like that involving Atletico? Yeah, the first half of this game was totally different to what we usually see from Atletico Madrid. The first half of Atletico Madrid games tend not to have too many goals. I mean, the Ibar game earlier this season was one, but other than that, it definitely hasn't happened this season. It's the first time since 2008 that both teams had scored two goals in a La Liga match with Atletico Madrid and the first time since 2015, and that was the only time it happened at all in an Atletico Madrid game under Simeone. So plenty of action in that first half. I mean, both teams were attacking quite openly. They weren't particularly strong defensively. I mean, individual mistakes. Stefan Savic was slipped up for Atletico Madrid and both teams were quite clinical in attack. They definitely didn't let anything slip by them. So really clinical display, which isn't what we've seen from either of these two teams in the last few weeks and then helped by a few refereeing calls as well. Well, let's get into the refereeing then. There were two very lengthy VAR delays what was that like in the stadium? Frustrating? And did we even reach the right decisions in the end? Yeah, I mean, there were very long delays on both of them. I think we were timing it when we were sat there. I think in total there were six minutes stoppages for the first incident and then five minutes for the second one as well. And as a fan in the stadium, it's very frustrating because you can't see any replays. You don't really know what's happening. And then when the referee Hernandez Hernandez ends up going over to the screen to watch it anyway, you do wonder why it took six minutes or five minutes to make the decision for him to go and watch it anyway surely you would think that's something that could be decided a lot quicker if the referees in the VAR booth have their doubts then send the referee over as soon as possible don't wait around six minutes to make that decision but then again you have to consider whether those decisions were the right ones I think the the penalty for Atletico Madrid the Diego Carlos handball was perhaps harsh but then given some of the other handballs we've seen recently it did look a penalty. I mean, he was his arm was slightly outstretched, not too much, but it was outstretched and it did hit his arm. It did have a little bit of time to react, a lot more than some of the penalties we've seen given recently. And then the Kieran Trippier one, again, it was very similar in that it's the kind of thing that you wonder, does VAR need to come in there? Because it wasn't a blatant penalty. It wasn't a clear and obvious mistake, as is often the line that's used. What did you think of Joao Felix? For me, this was one of his best games in the while, even if... There was a deflection with the goal that he scored. Yeah, Jao Felix was very impressive. I think he's slowly working his way into this team and I think he does work best alongside Alvaro Morata in attack. And in this game, it was definitely noticeable that he could drop off a bit more. He was a bit deeper. He had a bit more freedom. There were some times where fans got a little bit frustrated with him, perhaps harshly because he wasn't doing the pressing that, that is usually expected of a forward at Atletico Madrid. But his touches were good. He had a few moments of brilliance and, and kind of those individual flashes of quality that nobody else in that Atletico Madrid team really has. I mean, he got on the score sheet as well, which is a big moment for him. It wasn't the best or most 
spectacular of goals, but the more that he can start scoring those kinds of goals, the more it will help his confidence and that surely will only lead to better things from him. And we are seeing him start to settle in now. I think this season is definitely going to be one of adaptation and getting used to things and hopefully next season he'll start to come out of his shell even more. OK, prediction time. Which of these teams will end up finishing higher in the table? Well, you and that's the big question. I mean, Sevilla are two points ahead of Atletico Madrid as we speak. I think they'd have to be the favourites to finish above them as well. I mean, Atletico are desperate to finish in the Champions League spots in the top three or the top four. And they've got Hatafi ahead of them as well. But I think Atletico are just that little bit better at grinding out those 1-0 wins when they don't play well. And this was definitely a superb performance from Sevilla. But when they don't play that well, they really do struggle to kind of get that one goal to to nip a game and, and only just about scrape through to a win. But then on the other hand, this was Sevilla away from home. And away from home is where Atletico Madrid have really struggled this season. So if they start dropping points like they did on Saturday against their rivals like Sevilla on home turf, then that's not going to lead to a very happy ending for Diego Simeone and his team. So plenty left to play for, but I think performances like this one will help to lift the pressure on Lopetegui at Sevilla. And if they can start to put together a good run of form, then they can definitely secure that top three spot. And it's a shame really, because both teams know that if they play as well as they can play on a regular basis, they could put that pressure onto Real Madrid and Barcelona this season. But neither team has quite had that consistency. Thanks, Sam. So, as Sam alluded to, as we stand now, Sevilla are in third, Atletico in fifth. In the middle of that sandwich is Hitafi, although they'll be disappointed as they took on Celta Vigo at home this weekend and absolutely dominated the match, but it ended 0-0. 19 shots for Hitafi, 3 shots for Celta Vigo, but that's football. That was a commentary there from Levante versus Granada, which finished in a 1-1 draw on Sunday. As we heard, it was Roger Marti who got the opener to put Levante in front, his 11th of the season, which makes him the joint third top scorer in all of La Liga. Only Messi and Benzema are ahead of him. But Granada fought back and fought back well. Darwin Machis got the equaliser in the second half to earn them a point at the end of a week in which Copa del Rey dreams were dashed in Granada. Those dreams were dashed by Athletic Club, who had a perfect week by defeating Villarreal, going through in the Copa del Rey semi-final and then winning again 4-1 at Real Valladolid on the weekend, away from home as well. Let's bring in our man in Bilbao then, Dan Parry, to finish this week's episode with a bit of Copa del Rey lowdown. Dan, just tell us what the emotion was like in the Basque Country on Thursday night once it was confirmed that we'll have an all-Basque Copa del Rey final between Athletic Club and Real Sociedad. I would say the first emotion was one of uh, relief. To be honest, because if you think about it, it's been three weeks since the first leg of the semi-finals for both Atletic and La Real, and both games were fairly precarious. They weren't really neither game was really settled in the in the first leg, so it was there was never any guarantee that either of us were going to go through to the go through to the final. So the first emotion, of course, relief, and then unbelievable joy. This is going to be unbelievably important for basketball but I think Aitor Elitegui the president of Athletic came out and said this shows that basketball is strong this is the first all-Basque copper final since 1927 
when Reunion de Irún played Arenas Club de Quecho, two teams that start helped to start La Liga, but now in the Segunda B. It's the first time that Athletic Club have played uh, Real Sociedad in an official uh, Copa final. And it's actually quite crazy to think about all the, the history that these two clubs have, the fact that this is the first time they've faced each other in a final like this is quite extraordinary. And um, it's going to be an unbelievable event and an unbelievable final. How crazy is the rush for tickets going to be? Yeah, I think the rush for tickets is going to be quite intense. Uh, we're not entirely sure yet how many tickets are going to be given to each side. I've I've heard from some friends and I've read online that somewhere between 20 and 23,000 for both Athletic and La Real. And these are both clubs. I'm not sure about Real Sociedad, but Athletic have something like around 40,000 Sociedad, so 40,000 season ticket holders. So there's going to be a raffle. Uh, for those tickets and it's not just getting the tickets because a lot of people have said that even if they don't get the ticket they're going to go down to Seville anyway and that's going to cause problems in the fact that it's going to be really it's already hard difficult to get uh, accommodation in the city and then transport I have to put this into perspective that Bilbao and the Basque country in general sorry is very far away from Seville so it's not easy to get down there and Dan, what do you think this final will be like? Will it be fiery? Will it be amicable? I'm not sure. I think on the pitch it's going to be quite fiery and uh, it will definitely be quite an intense an intense final. Off the pitch, I'm not certain because I've heard loads of different things. So for example, one of the debates at the moment between the clubs is should there be a joint fan zone for both Athletic and, and Real Sociedad fans to be together and there's two camps on both sides. So there's Athletic fans who are like, hell no. And Lariel fans who are also like, hell no, we don't want that. But also there's a group in the middle that are like, yeah, let's do this. Let's have a fan zone for both teams. Let's celebrate Basque culture and let's show the world that there's a different way to follow football. That's not about animosity. So I don't know, because there's different there's different groups of people like and different uh, varieties, varying, varying intensities of um, hatred towards the other club. Thanks, Dan, and thanks to all the other contributors from this episode, to David Whitworth, to Roman de Arcaire, to Alex Fitzpatrick, to Paco Pollitt, to Sam Leverage, and to Dan Parry. I've been your host, Drew McTeer, and thank you very much for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.